When I first began to pastor, one of the things I enjoyed most was sitting with folks, hearing their story. Early on, when I was new to the General Conference Mennonite Church, I sat with an older fellow. We were talking about the differences between Franconia Conference and the Eastern District of the General Conference Church. He related that Franconia Conference was changing quite a bit. His barometer was the fact that he was not welcomed into a Franconia Conference church because he wanted to have a TV. So he left, or I don't know if they encouraged him to leave or gave him a choice, and he chose the TV. He then reported 25 years later when that church that had called him to a choice called a new pastor. He watched from his front window as that pastor unloaded a 25-inch color TV that was put in his living room and installed an aerial on his on his roof. All of us have these stories, don't we? Stories of church discipline, stories of light and darkness, either or. You're either walking in the light or you're walking in the darkness. Well, what does TV have to do with that? Well, at the, that point in time, the church felt that to have a TV would make you wander from the light. Therefore, it was the first step towards darkness. So it's either or. No TV. Now think about it on a larger scale. When I was a young man, driving down the country roads of Iowa, and we happened to cross... Upper Deer Creek Mennonite Church. Down the road about four miles, yeah, probably not quite that far, three miles, is Lower Deer Creek Mennonite Church. I finally asked my father one day when we were making these trips, Dad, why is there an Upper Deer Creek and a Lower Deer Creek? And he simply said, the telephone. The churches chose to divide over the telephone. Now, if it had just been one or two individuals, they would have been disciplined and separated. Let me read a passage from 2 Corinthians 6, beginning at verse 14. Do not be mismatched with unbelievers, for what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship is there between light and darkness? What agreement does Christ have with Belial? Or what does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said, I will live in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. 
Therefore, come out from them and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch nothing unclean. Then I will welcome you, and I will be your father. You shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. This theme of light and dark. Now, I know that this is definitely something that you as East Chestnut Street, longtime members, have stories to tell. One of our pride points, as I've learned to know us, is that we're a little bit on the edge of Lancaster Conference. We like that. We're a little bit different. Might think about how that plays itself out in our lives and in our congregational life. It's neither a right nor a wrong statement. It just is something that is true and is there. As a pastor, one of the most challenging things to do was to be the gatekeeper. The person who, when one congregant didn't like what another congregant was doing, would come and tell you about it and ask you what you were going to do about it. The role of church discipline. I'm right. She's wrong. I'm right. He's wrong. Either or. One or the other. Righteousness or unrighteousness. Light or darkness. One of the things I've learned as I've aged is that I'm often finding myself in dark spots in the middle of the sunshine. It's not clearly just light or darkness. It's not either or. It's sometimes both and. I want us to reflect just a little bit today on what's going on maybe within ourselves, within our lives, in the lives of other folks. I had a watershed experience or experiences out in 2004, I enrolled in what was called the Murray Bowen uh, School of the uh, Family Systems Theory. And in it, I was immersed in studying family systems. And thinking about how that applied to my life and to my work as a pastor, how did it impact it? I want us to think about our lives as a set of interlocking triangles. Mom and dad and child. Child has school friends. Dad and child, there's maybe a grandfather. Could be extended families, work relationships, There's all of these interlocking triangles that exist. One of the thoughts is, have you ever sat on a two-legged stool? Maybe if you tried to, not for very long. The only way to bring stability to a stool is to put at least three legs on it. Two legs doesn't cut it. 
And so our human relationships work themselves out that way. There's always three points in the relationships, and they're called triangles. Now, those of you who studied Edwin Friedman, there is one challenge to his thought that I'd give to you. He uses language like detriangulate yourself out of this triangle. It doesn't happen. Triangles exist. And we'll think about how they play out in our lives and in the church. One of the stories of ways of thinking about discipline and how it interacts in our lives. My dad registered as a non-combatant. A few years later, he was never drafted, one of his friends began to talk about doing voluntary service, some form of service. It was encouraging my father to consider the same thing. And my dad was seriously considering it, decided to go and talk to the minister about the choices that were before him. It was unfortunate that the minister chose that as an opportunity to chastise him for registering as a non-combatant and therefore impacting my father's decision not to do that service opportunity. He recalled it as saying the minister said, well, why would somebody who registered as a non-combatant go and do service? That makes no sense. And so as an opportunity really to further the mission of the church and probably to encourage my father, I think the minister made the wrong choice of words. How does discipline play itself out? Another experience I had was, and the roles get reversed occasionally, there was a young woman that became pregnant. She was not married. The family came to me, and the family wanted to have time in the worship service to share of this experience, to, in a sense, confess. I took it as an opportunity to say, are you sure you want to do that? Let's not do that, to discourage it from happening. No, they persisted. They wanted to do that. And so they were given opportunity to do that. The interesting reactions were both the support and the encouragement that came from the congregation, but the anger that was within congregational members who believed I or church leadership required it. Always interesting to see what we bring to an equation and what our stories, our backgrounds, how they inform who we are and what we bring. Another one of my experiences with church discipline and how churches view one another, this light and dark motif, righteousness and unrighteousness, goes back to when I was pastoring Zion. Mennonite, a GC church. And I soon discovered 
that, like you, when I looked out over a congregation on a Sunday morning, there was a set of 60 and 70-year-old men. The reason they sat there was because they chose not to be COs and do alternative service. They chose to go into the military. When they came back, they had two choices. They could confess their sin and be welcomed back into the, what at that time was the Mennonite Church or Franconia Conference, or they could come to the GC Church, which would not require them to do that. So what was the perception of the Franconia Conference people? We were a little less righteous on the other side of the tracks. The same sort of discipline didn't occur. And so often what was viewed on the one side was that they don't believe in peace. I soon discovered wasn't true. It's just that it was not a test of membership. It wasn't required that you believe that or you could not be a member. A different way that discipline worked itself out in the congregation. What are your own stories as you think about the stories that reside right here? And depending on what happens within this congregation, how does that inform you? What is your reaction? How do you respond? Let's go back to this. Invariably, this triangle, one of the main features is two points tend to be closer. Try and ever be a child, and you go to mom and dad and you get the same story. Somehow mom and dad send, seem to be closer most of the time. The kids feel like they're on the out. So naturally what happens is those children become closer because they're allies against mom and dad. But now think about this relationship. When mom and dad get on the outs with each other, there's some anxiety, there's some frustration, maybe some anger, maybe some crosswords. What happens? Invariably, these two get further apart emotionally. And one of them maybe goes closer here. Or possibly this one goes out to another relationship. If you need a confidant that's not your spouse, who do you go to? At moments when you get frustrated with your spouse, how do you deal with that? Many times people have a special friend, somebody that they can just go and talk to about it, get some advice. It happens. It's part of working out those tensions that exist in our relationships. But now let's apply it to the role of church discipline. 
This was one of the learnings I had as I matured as a pastor. When somebody came to complain about another congregant or on occasion a spouse would come to ask me to see their spouse because they were upset with the spouse. Rather than resist doing that, I would welcome it. So that I would draw closer. If this one came to me, I would draw closer to this one. Take it as an opportunity to go out to eat. And I wouldn't hold what this person told me in confidence because it's not the best thing to do. So somewhere in that conversation, ask them how life was, I'd say, well, your wife happened to mention that she was a little frustrated with you. You might just want to pay attention to that. And then I'd go on. And sometimes they'd talk about that openly or sometimes they'd say, oh, well, I knew she was, so thank you. And we'd have a delightful meal together. And what it did was it forced those on the outs to recognize that there was something going on there and let them deal with that. Not me deal with it. So if you think about people who might be on the outs in the congregation and they come to the congregation seeking us to choose a winner and a loser to discipline the offending party. I've learned that if we resist that urge and live with the tensions that are going on here, that in the end, that refraining from picking a winner or a loser blesses all of us. It forces some decision-making here that needs to take place. It allows us to continue to welcome both. Several years ago, I attended an educational event in New Jersey. The church was introducing what was called ACT. It had to do with Christian teaching and how to encourage and strengthen the teaching in the church. So several leaders and lay members were invited to a seminar that was down in uh, Keswick, New Jersey. And we had a, uh, a van load that went from the eastern Pennsylvania area, loaded up the van, and I was chosen to drive. We drove down, spent the weekend. On the way back, we came to one of those areas where you had to choose which direction to go. And I chose the direction that I knew was the right direction. The co, my co-pilot mentioned to me that I was going the wrong direction. I said, no, I'm not. I'm going the right direction. No, you're going the wrong direction. I kept driving, convinced that I was going the right direction. She bit her tongue until she couldn't bite her tongue much longer, and she said, no, Cal, you're really going the wrong direction. And I said, oh, let's just see. We'll see what happens. About three minutes later, we came to a wonderful view of the ocean. <laughs> I simply turned the van around and headed 
in the right direction. Sometimes discipline is simply being gentle enough to be along for the ride until the one driving discovers they're going in the wrong direction. Sometimes discipline is just having a listening ear. Sometimes discipline means just gently suggesting there might be other choices that a person could consider. Without saying, don't be here, your choices are clearly part of darkness. We welcome people to go along for the ride, inviting them to reflect on their lives, to discover God's presence in the midst of their journey. And we don't cut off a relationship that in the end can bless all of us. Life isn't just about either or, light or darkness. It's about the fact that you don't understand light without darkness. You don't understand darkness without light. When we can embrace the other, the one who we think is heading in the wrong direction, who has chosen the telephone, and it's the worst choice they could have made, when we can keep open the conversation and the relationship, I think that's when God's grace and God's work is most apparent. If we say we are without sin, we really are lying. Let us pray. God, so often we seek clear answers. We want to know what is right and what is wrong. And then we choose, and we remind everybody who's chosen the opposite that they are wrong. Help us to resist this temptation to embrace all and everyone who is in our midst, to proclaim your gospel clearly, but to be reminded that we all fall short. We all go astray, and we appreciate the pen that welcomes us and gives us safety. Help us to examine our own lives, our own relationships, the tensions that exist, and the ways that we work out those tensions. Allow us to embrace your love and your grace in our lives as well as in those around us. Thank you for hearing our prayer. Amen.